Welcome to Deal Closers with Annette Tali, where we focus on the deals. Our guests are real estate closers who will share in detail the whole process from finding a deal to closing it, as well as strategies and tips to help you do the same. Here is your host, Annette Tali. Welcome to another episode of Deal Closers. I am your host, Annette Tali. Today we have a special edition, and our guest today is Natalie Collati. Welcome, Natalie. Hi, Nat. How are you? Very excited to have you today. I uh, was on a call that Natalie led uh, about a year ago, and mm-hmm. it was so much value, so much information that I didn't know or that I kind of knew but didn't understand. So I was so happy when uh, somebody suggested your name to invite you, and I'm like, yeah, why didn't I think about it? <laughs> so welcome. Perfect. Thank you for having me. <laughs> So let me tell you guys a little bit about Natalie. She started working in public accounting around 2014, and it was at the same time she started investing in real estate. So for her, both go hand in hand. She recently took a big risk by leaving her comfortable office job uh, to work with clients that she cares and love, which are investors. Um, after investing in real estate market, both in the Pacific Northwest and beyond, she found that that specialized tax expertise for investors was badly lacking. I totally agree. You know, yep. it's hard to find a good accountant that specializes in real estate. Um, so uh, she, according to her, no two real estate deals are quite the same and neither are the two investors tax strategies. Each individual tax plan is like a puzzle and it is her job to fit the pieces together in a way that helps the investor make the most of their investment. Awesome. So Natalie, tell us a little bit about you and how did you get into real estate and into accounting? Yeah, so I um, I kind of fell into accounting. I was going to school for business and then really enjoyed this part of it. So I specialized my degree and went into accounting. And then right after I graduated, I went, I did exactly what you shouldn't do, the way you shouldn't get started in real estate. And I went to one of the weekend guru seminars <laughs> where they try to sell you on everything and everything's a, a whole big, uh, big sales pitch. So it was good and bad. It was obviously bad because you can get all that great information from local investors from people from local mentors Um, but the good part was that was sort of what triggered for me that you can invest in real estate for me I had always figured oh you just have to save enough for a down payment on a house and then you buy a house and you repeat like I I thought that was all you could do so it really opened up my eyes to kind of other ways of investing and creative investing and um, we just got kind of going forward from there and then being involved in that side of things it really compounded with when I was working at a tax firm, because as soon as they learned I was kind of learning more on that area, I started getting all of those clients. So I became very specialized and started seeing kind of everything across the realm um, from that crossover from the tax and real estate issues. Wow, amazing. And if you like it, even better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> because you're enjoying your job. Yep. What are we going to talk about today? Yeah, so today I wanted to give you guys a little bit of a rundown. It's obviously tax time. So I wanted to try to clarify. I think a lot of people haven't um, 
haven't ever kind of fully grasped the way their real estate is taxed, the impact of what they're doing and how different deals can create different tax situations. So I want to just run through the way real estate's taxed, kind of what you'll look at depending on what kind of deal you do. And then some great ways to maximize your tax savings. Real estate is an area where there's huge tax benefits. So we want to understand those. Um, and then I will touch on some of the things that I see missed pretty often on returns. These are easy deductions that a lot of regular accountants or when returns are self-prepared get kind of overlooked. So I want to give you sort of this overview so that before you file your taxes, you've got this understanding. Awesome. Let's start. Perfect. So with real estate, I think something really important to understand when it comes to your taxes is that you can do several different kinds of deals and the tax impact is going to be different. So this is one of those things that drives me crazy because someone will ask on, you know, on a Facebook group or something, you know, oh, what kind of, do I need an LLC? Do I need an S Corp? And someone will very, yeah, (laughs) yeah. And it's good to get feedback, but the problem is someone will be like, oh, here's exactly what you need. This is exactly what I did. It saved me all this money. But would save that person $20,000 could end up costing you money if it's a different situation. So it's really important to get your feedback online, do your own research, but then talk to an attorney and talk to a tax pro. So with real estate, what I try to explain to people is that there's two different types of income. So like if you're doing flips or if you're doing wholesales, it's ordinary income. It's an active earned income. So to the IRS, That is just like operating any other business. And people really get hung up on this and accountants get this wrong a lot because historically in our mind, selling a house is capital gains. Like if you sell your primary home or if you sell a rental, but with a flip, you have to ignore that it's a house and think of it as a product. So to the IRS, the fact that you bought a a rundown house, put in some materials and labor and resold it for more money, it's the same to them as if you bought flour, eggs, and sugar put it into a cake and sold the cake for money. So it's just a regular business. So what that means is that if you're doing flipping or wholesaling, you're going to pay your ordinary income tax rate. So the same rate you pay on your W-2 wages or if you have your own, any other business. And then on top of your ordinary income tax, you're gonna pay self-employment tax. So that is a 15.5% tax, kind of a bummer. The easiest way to think of it is if you are currently employed, when you get your paychecks, there's like half of it missing, it seems like. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And that's all of these taxes. So um, all of these payroll taxes, your Medicare, Social Security, FICA. So when you're employed by someone, your employer pays half and you pay half. Well, if you're self-employed, you're your own boss. So you have to pay both. Wow. And what's the percentage you said? It's about 15 and a half. Wow. So it's a pretty big add-on and people don't always account for that. So it's important when you're looking at your deals to really be mindful of this because you're going to pay tax on that deal. So if your flip has tight margins to begin with, this can really, this can really hurt you. Right. Um, and you'll hear people say, oh, well, can't a flip be capital gains? So capital gains, like when you normally sell a property or um, if you sell collectibles or anything like that, like anything you've held for investment, Mm-hmm. It's at a a more preferential tax rate. There isn't those payroll taxes. You don't pay that 15% tax. And it's at a lower rate than your regular earned income. Because to them, this isn't something you're doing as a job. It was just like you happened to sell something you were hanging on to. So they tax you less. A flip could potentially be capital gains. 
but it's very circumstantial. So with the IRS, like I said, they're going to look at if your intent from the beginning, if you were like, I'm going out, I'm buying a house, I'm fixing it up and selling it for money. Like that's a business. You, that was your whole plan <laughs> was to make money on it. If you own a bunch of rentals and you're, maybe you're doing burr, right? So you're buying it, you're renovating it, pulling your money back out and doing it again. If you're at that point in it and you're planning to make it a rental and a friend of yours is like, I love this house. I want to buy it from you. Can I just buy this house when you're done with your renovation? Um, it's perfect. It's exactly what we're looking for. In that case, we could call it capital gains because you weren't trying to sell it. You know, it was kind of a one-off. So that's the biggest thing to keep in mind is that if it's kind of one of these weird circumstances, you didn't go into it trying to buy and resell a property, you know, or like if you inherit Uncle Harold's house when he passes away and you fix it up to sell, like that wasn't a business move. That was just life circumstance. So same thing. Um, so in any of those circumstances, it could be capital gains. You also, rentals qualify for capital gains. So you always have an option to potentially rent your flip for a while. The kind of general consensus is about a year. Um, show it was a rental and then you can sell it for that lower tax of capital gains. But there's a trade-off, obviously, because you know a tenant can really ruin a renovation in one year. <laughs> but so those are kind of your options with flipping. There's sort of just think of it like a business to begin with. If you don't have any weird outlying circumstances, you're just going to be taxed ordinary income and self-employment tax. Same thing with wholesaling. And it's what's, that the, same what's the rate for capital gains? So the capital gains rates varies from zero and goes up from there. So most people fall into a 15% bracket. So it's a sub-series of brackets based on your ordinary tax bracket. So if you make this dollar amount, your capital gains is this amount. So the rates correlate and it changes year to year. So keep an eye on that. Another kind of thing that people misunderstand is someone will say, oh, well, I'll just, I'll take a year off work, right? I've got my rentals. I'll just um, go travel Europe for a year. And in that year, I'll sell all my properties because I didn't make any money. I won't pay any capital gains. But it's a circular calculation. So people need to realize this. People will think, oh, well, if I didn't earn any money, my gain rate should be zero. But the gains go into your total income. So if you made zero dollars, you didn't work all year, you traveled or you lived on your mom's couch or you did whatever, and then you sell a house and make $300,000, well, that goes into the calculation of how much gain. So it bumps you back into having income again. So that's another kind of misunderstanding with people is, is that part of it. So just be mindful. Anytime you are thinking about selling real estate or um, just that the circumstances might change, you're trying to flip something or sell something, talk to your tax professional ahead of time. There's so many times where it's like, oh, we could have, like, we could have saved so much money if we knew you were doing this. Right. <laughs> it's like once things happen, we can't go backwards in time. So it's always better to reach out first. Um, even though people don't think about it, especially when it's like a really good deal, they're excited to make a bunch of money on a flip. That's when you need to talk to someone the most. Right. <laughs> so always loop them in. So okay. yeah, flipping an ordinary income, um, flipping, wholesaling, anything like that. Right, then so we get the, into- A burr mm -hmm. strategy would be the capital gains, right? Because you're normally keeping it, uh, refinancing it and then keeping it. Yep, as long as you did actually turn it into a rental for a while first. Right. So- if you were doing kind of a burr and then like a, a hybrid strategy almost, right? You do a burr, you get a renter in there, keep it rented for a year or two, then sell it. And that's sort of your plan. Yep. That works just, just fine. Capital gains. Okay. Awesome. Yep. 
And then the other side of real estate, this is the side I personally like, um, is the passive income side. So this is where all the benefits are. When you hear people say they don't pay any taxes, this is how, well, if you hear them say that and they're not kind of skeezy, like if they're doing it legally, this is how. <laughs> There's lots of people just not paying taxes. Don't do that, but do it the correct yeah. way. So with your rentals, they're passive income. And what that means is that they're, any income they earn is taxed at your ordinary income rates, but you don't pay any self-employment tax. So you hear a lot of people who say, oh, I want to get rentals to replace my W-2 job, right? I want to quit my job and be able to live on my rental income. That means that when, it, when you're doing this analysis, the gross amount you need to earn is actually quite a bit less because you're paying less tax on it, right? So you need to earn less to take home the same amount. So that part is great to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're employed by a W-2 job, like I said, you're paying half of those payroll taxes. That alone is, you know, about 6%. Like most people don't get a 6% per like raise per year anymore. Yeah. So that's a pretty big um, take home advantage. Yeah. yeah. So that's the first thing to be mindful of. Um, on top of that, rentals, kind of an ideal rental will make you money. I would never recommend buying a property where you're going to lose money, <laughs> but we get to take depreciation and depreciation is kind of this weird, weird thing. It's kind of misunderstood, but basically if you buy a big asset, something your business is going to use for a long time, the IRS assigns a life to it because they try to match up your income and expenses. So they're like, well, if this is going to make you money for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, we don't want you to deduct it all at once. You'll have a huge loss now and then owe a bunch of money later. Like we want to try to match it up. So instead they say, okay, well, like a house, a residential house, the life is going to be 27 and a half years. So you buy the house, you only get to depreciate the value of the building land. We assume just as there forever. Mm -hmm. um, so we're going to let you deduct a portion of what you paid for this every year over its life so that you're getting to offset your income year to year. So keep in mind what this means is that you're getting to literally on your taxes, deduct an expense for something that didn't cost you any money that year. So at the end of the year, you could have, you know, $4,000 in the bank. That is literally how much cash you made after you collected rent, paid all your expenses. So then $4,000, that is tangible, you earned it. And then on your taxes, we get to deduct this depreciation amount. You don't write a check for that. It doesn't cost you anything. So you've earned $4,000. And then let's say with depreciation, we get to deduct seven. So on your taxes, what you report is actually a loss of $3,000. So from one rental, you've made $4,000 more than you would have without it. But on paper, you earned $3,000 less. So it's almost like earning seven, kind of, because it compounds, right? You've yeah, got because you can deduct that from your ordinary income, right? Those $3,000. Potentially. So this is kind of the next thing I wanted to touch on. So obviously, that's a huge benefit because you, you, you make more money and then get to pretend it's a loss like that. There's not, nothing else in the world that lets you do that, you know? Right. And this is what they call the paper losses, right? Yep. Yep. Paper losses, guys. If you hear that, that's what it is. <laughs> yep. Your paper losses. And here's the other great part about depreciation. So people will say all the time, oh, I don't want to show a big loss on paper because I need to be able to get financing, right? I need to be able to finance my next deal. 
Well, guess what? They add back depreciation. They know that didn't cost you any money. So if the reason your losses, that you have losses on paper are from depreciation, when you go to get financing, they're going to back that $7,000 back into how much money you made. And they'll be like, oh, your rental actually made $4,000 in the real world. (laughs) So it's profitable. So you really want to maximize that and focus on that because it's your greatest benefit, right? It's something that won't hurt you for lending. It's going to let you have a loss while you make money. Like there's just this compound benefit to depreciation. When I say maximize that, there's kind of a few things that you can do that we kind of see regularly. So like I said, you get to depreciate your building value, not your land. And so people get caught up on how do I figure that out? How do I know what amounts? So there's a few ways. There's actually like seven or eight ways that the IRS accepts. Um, Something you'll hear from time to time that they do not accept (laughs) is you'll hear people, especially if they're kind of old school, they've owned rentals forever. They're like, oh, I just use 80-20. I just do 80-20 no matter what. And that's not, like, that's not anything. That's not a, that'll never hold up in an audit. That's not based on any kind of fact. It's just kind of lazy, quick math. So if your accountant's doing that, A, lazy, quick math, that's not a good sign. And B, what if your house is actually worth more than what they're allocating? They could be costing you some of that deduction. So we always want as much as possible allocated to the building. So the best ways to look at this when you buy your new rentals, look at the county tax assessor. Don't use the exact amounts they use, but use their same percentages. So if they do you know, $75,000 to building, 25 to land, then 75% went to building value. If you paid 200,000 for it, you're just going to take 75% of 200,000. So apply those same ratios. Oh, so you do the ratios. Yep. Yep. Because tax assessor values are often really off, especially in high cost areas. Like you might pay 400,000 for a house that they say is worth two. (laughs) So you want to use that. They are changing it though. They are raising the taxes. Last year there was a big raise in taxes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Some of the counties in Washington, right before I moved um, up in the Northern County where I was, certain areas were raised by like 16% in one year. It was just these huge hikes going through. But yeah. So check your tax assessor. um, Use their allocation. Another option you can look at is your appraisal. If your appraisal gives a value to your actual lot, your building or your, um, your land, then you can use that as a definite number. If they say factually your land is worth $20,000, then great. Back out the rest of it. That's obviously your building amount. If neither of those are good for whatever reason, if it's a weird property or the numbers are really off, some, if, something, right? If you just need sort of a third option. Um, another option you can use is comps for land. So if you can prove reasonably how much land is worth in that area, then we can use that value. Same thing. If you know how much the land is worth, the difference of what you paid is the building. So those are the top three ways I'd recommend looking at. Um, And this is one of those things a lot of accounting firms just look at the county assessor and move on. They don't even check other options. But like I said, you want to maximize this deduction. So look at your options. So what about if, let's say, you know, I bought this property for 200000 and they said at the time that the land was worth 25000 So now I got a new appraisal and it's two ninety or 300 to make it easy. So would the land value still be 25000 Yep. So anything that we depreciate, anything that's an asset like that, we have to do the value at a set point in time. 
So it's always going to be the year when it went into service. So we can't change that later. Mm -hmm. Um, so even if like, you'll still, you'll see this down the road, people have rentals for years and years and like, well, you have to stay on that same depreciation schedule. So it's based on the value and the split when you bought it and when it was put in service as a property, as a rental. Oh, I see what you're saying. So you, even if it appraised at more, you cannot change that. Nope. Correct. So, but what we do get to do is so likely the reason it appraised for more is because you renovated it. So when you do renovations, we either get to depreciate those as well. So it gets added kind of to that value or potentially expense some of it. And it depends on what kind of renovations you do, um, what's included, you know, if it's structural or not a component of the house or if it's just finished or not attached. Um, So that's another really important thing to kind of be mindful of is when you're giving your accountant your tax information, don't just tell them, oh, I did a $40,000 renovation. Because if that's all the information you give them, they're just going to add it to the value of your house and deduct it over 27 and a half years. But if it turns out that renovation included $10,000 worth of appliances, those aren't part of the house. They're not attached. Those could be expensed all at once. So would you rather deduct $10,000 today or one twenty-seventh of it (laughs) every year? So you want to be able to break out as much of your renovations as possible and provide that information to your tax professional. So with, yeah, with both of those, like you mentioned earlier, kind of circling back. So we've got all this depreciation. It gives you a loss. And then the question is, can I use that loss, right? Can I use it to offset my W-2 income? And there's three ways that you can. So the first way So the reason you may not be able to, I guess, is that, like we said earlier, rentals are passive income. And so normally you can only offset passive income with passive losses. They're kind of their own category. But the IRS has kind of a few exclusions. So if you meet one of these exclusions, then we can use your passive losses to offset your regular income, your income from your job or from any flips or anything anything else on your returns. So the first way is what they call a small taxpayer exclusion. So if you're combined, it's actually a modified adjusted gross income. So it's going to be a little different than that line on your tax return that just says AGI, but it'll be fairly close. If you're married, if your combined income is under $100,000, you can deduct up to $25,000 a year of rental losses. Once you get above $100,000, it starts to fade out. And once you hit $150,000, you can't use your losses at all. But they don't disappear. (laughs) You get to hang on to them and they just what's called carry forward or roll forward till you have a way to use them. So if the next year you have some passive income, maybe you invested in a syndication or you buy another rental and it doesn't have a loss on paper, you get to use them. Um, So just keep in mind that if your income is too high, it doesn't mean you lose those losses or like you're losing the benefit. You just don't get to use it right now. So it's still important to try to maximize it when it makes sense. This is one of those things where you'll hear people say, oh, you need a cost segregation. It's going to save you a ton of money. Well, if you can't deduct your $4,000, it's not going to save you any money if you also can't deduct 70. <laughs> like you need to make sure your circumstance makes sense and it'll actually help you tax-wise. Mm-hmm. So if you can't use those losses, they carry forward to a point when you can or until when the property is sold. The other way you get to use those losses, and this is my, my favorite thing, it is a fantastic 
tax benefit and you've got to be really cautious qualifying for it because it's such a good benefit. The IRS is kind of, they keep an eye on it. So it's called a real estate professional. So this is a tax status where you basically, your full time is real estate. So if you spend 750 hours a year doing real estate, and this is the part that hangs up most people, and if you, you can't spend any more time on any other activities, any other jobs besides real estate. So if you work a full-time job, you probably won't qualify. Even if you don't, but you don't hit the 750 hours, you won't qualify. They require you keep an ongoing log throughout the year of your time, and it can only be your time spent on your current property, so you can't just like hang out on Zillow all day and look up properties and log your time. It has to be the management of your properties. So um, on my website, I actually have a log you can download to kind of track it, and it mimics the same log like an IRS auditor would use to kind of review your time, so it should keep you well covered if you stay up on that. But the reason this benefit is so beneficial is if, if you're married, only one spouse needs to qualify, and then there's no limit on being able to use your rental losses. So one person can keep working. They can make, however, infinite amounts of money. They could make 500 grand a year. Maybe they work at you know, Google or something, and you could be managing all the properties. Say you've got 20 rentals. You're putting in your thousand plus hours a year, you're good, you've got it all logged. Now at the end of the year, like we said earlier, if your one property had a $4,000 loss, well, what if you had 100 properties? Like it can really compound really quickly and there's no limit. There's no limit on that. So you can basically at this point becomes an equation of if I literally want to pay no taxes, how many rentals do I need to generate enough losses to totally zero out my income. And so you can adjust that however you want. Some people decide to go kind of a, like a lean fire or a fire early retirement lifestyle and they pull back their expenses so that they can retire early. If you don't want to do that, if you want to keep making 400 grand a year at your job, you just need more rentals. <laughs> so it's now just an equation that you just have to figure out for you know how many properties do I need to make it so I don't pay any tax. And that can happen pretty easily. This is where cost segregation can really help you. If you qualify as real estate professional and you don't have any limit on those losses, well, if you buy a million dollar apartment complex and you can separate out half that cost and deduct the full $500,000 in year one, and then just rinse and repeat every few years, you buy a new large building like that, do the same thing over and over. You can sell it at year five when you kind of run out of depreciation and buy a new one. People, that's why anytime you see a syndication, they tend to hold properties for like five to seven years. This is why, is because they're using up their depreciation on the front end. They take a ton of expenses, they sell it, roll the money into a new property, do it again. So you can do the same thing on a smaller scale or the same large scale. Oh, is that, I think I, I read on Robert Kiyosaki that he only holds onto properties for seven years max. Yep. I really never understood why but I think this is why, right? They are yep. getting it and then there's no more use for depreciation. So they sell it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cause people don't think about that part. If you have a property that you know, you're going to keep forever, right? You just love this property. It's in the perfect area. You're just, you're never going to sell it no matter what you might not want to do a cost segregation because now you've taken all your deduction on the first seven years and come year eight, most of the time rents go up. 
like value goes up. So down the line, you're making more money with nothing to deduct against it. So it can put you in a worse situation. So that's why it's important to look at kind of your plan down the road. But that's exactly why, yeah, seven years is sort of the common depreciation life on those shorter items that a cost segregation separates out. So once you deduct them all, you sell it and start over. <laughs> all right. So, so for buy and hold people, they probably don't want to do a cost segregation. And for people that are uh, not fix, fix and flips, because that's different, right? But the people yeah. that are doing maybe burst strategies and are selling at the end, yeah, they might want to do the, the depreciation at the beginning. Yep. Or just keep in mind, it's kind of a trade-off. Even if you're a buy and hold, does it seem worth it to you to have the tax benefits knowing that you have to kind of redo it every seven years? You've got to find a new deal. You've got to put in the time, restabilize a new building. For some people, it's worth it. For other people, they're like, I'm good. Just let me, <laughs> let me find my deal and hold it forever. So right. it's a matter of what will work for you. Right. And that's what you were saying. Like every deal is different and every strategy is different. Yep, absolutely. And it varies person to person because what you might be trying to do with real estate is different than what this other person is trying to do. So there's no one size fits all. It's figuring out how we can maximize your overall situation so that you can still get loans, so that you pay as little as possible and looking at the next five and 10 years. Yeah. You know, I just want to say something. If you are looking at this video and you're new to real estate, you got to watch it twice or three times because when I was watching your call a year ago, I didn't understand half of the things that you were saying because yeah. they were not, you know, I, did, I wasn't experiencing them. But now that I'm hearing all this information again, it's kind of clicking a lot better with me. You know what I mean? So, if, you know, watch this video more than once for sure. There is so much great information. Yeah, it's one of the taxes is so tricky and it's one of those things where it's hard to explain it and have it make sense because it doesn't make sense like depreciation doesn't make sense it's a weird thing so you might have to watch it more than once and I apologize <laughs> no I, I mean I think it, it's just like it's something so complicated that mm -hmm. you know you gotta in order for it to click and you know you gotta watch it more than once especially I am not a numbers person so I have to yep. anything that is numbers I have to like be very careful <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it gets tricky, but um, that's why having a good tax person is really huge with this. So it's one of those things where people will say, you know, can I do my taxes on TurboTax or do it myself? Like you could, yeah, but like the one of the best parts of real estate is the tax benefits and you don't want to step over dollars to pick up dimes. You know, you don't want to save a couple bucks and then lose out on thousands. So be really careful with your taxes yeah, when it comes to this. I tried to do my taxes once on TurboTax, but they were already a bit complicated because we already had a, ta uh, a rental. Mm -hmm. and I did not understand it. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to make it. <laughs> I still didn't get, it didn't pick a right accountant then, but. <laughs> yeah, that's another tricky thing too, is finding someone who really understands real estate and, most accounting firms will tell you all day long, oh yeah, we've got, we've got real estate clients, no big deal, but they don't know the, the nitty gritty of it. They're just going to take your numbers, put it on the form. That'll be that. So if you talk to them about like a cost segregation or you ask them, can they help you create a five-year plan to qualify for real estate professional and their eyes kind of glaze over, <laughs> then you need someone who's a little more specialized because a lot of accountants just don't focus on this area. So like you said, real estate professional is 
that's a huge benefit. If you can qualify for that, you can put yourself in a position to never pay taxes pretty much. You know, you just have to figure out how many properties you need to generate the losses you need. The third way, and it's kind of a weird one, but so like we said earlier, if your income's too high, if no one's a real estate professional, you get these losses every year that you can't use. So even if your rentals have $10,000, $20,000 of losses, but your income is too high, you don't get to deduct it. And they're just stuck. They just get stuck with the property. So in the year when you sell a rental, all of those passive losses become available. And it's important to realize too that it's not just on the property you sell. It is any previously previous losses available from other properties as well. And um, if your income is under that limit, so say, so here's a good example. So say your income's over the limit, no real estate professional, you make way too much money. And then in year 12, you go to sell one property. That property has had $70,000 of losses over the years that you couldn't use. Well, you sell it for however much, you now get to use that $70,000 to reduce your gain. That's already pretty good. Now what if you've got 10 other properties that all have losses like that that are stuck? You get to use those other losses from your other real estate to offset the rest of the gain. You can bring it all the way to zero. So, oh. yeah. So sell those? Correct. Yep. The way the calculation works is that any previously stuck losses become available against a capital gain generated by real estate. So even if you sell one out of 10 and the other 10 have had these built up losses, we can use those. So you always hear about 1031 exchange and how to sell real estate tax free. You have to use one. But if you're in this situation, you could sell one of your properties every so many years, use your losses, not pay any tax trade into something else or trade into multiple. But it's a good way to be able to sell real estate and not have to follow the rules of a 1031 exchange. You could put the money into whatever. You don't have the timelines. So it's really kind of an overlooked um, an overlooked benefit and not really strategized enough because, like I said, it's one of those things where at a normal firm, you know, each year they'll be like, oh, you can't use your losses. Sorry. Like, that's a bummer. But they're not going to sit down with you and say, hey, are you thinking about like this property is costing you money at this point? It needs a bunch of repairs, this and that. Maybe sell it, use all these losses, get $100,000 of profit tax-free, put it into a better property. So you've got to look at this big picture. Another thing that's interesting is if in that year your income is below that $100,000 limit. So say it's been high for all these years, you couldn't use your losses. The year you go to sell a property, you're like, well, we're selling a property. Let's take a year off work and travel kind of thing. If you can keep your income under that $100,000 mark in the year you sell a property, like I said, you can normally use all of your prior losses. They're going to reduce your gain on that property up to zero, totally wipe out the gain. But normally you can't use any more. But if you're back in that bracket now where you can use those losses, you're under that $100,000, if your gain was, say, $50,000, but your total losses that have been stuck were 90, you get to wipe out your 50, and you can use the other losses of 40, as long as you can stay under that bracket in the year you sell. So this is another thing that people don't tend to look at, but it's one of those things where this is why it's good to plan and work with someone who's going to 
forecast out a few years for you because we can look at that. We can say, hey, you know, if you want to, if you've been thinking about taking a year to travel through Sweden or do whatever, this would be a good year because you can use more losses because if we have your income at this level, we can use this benefit. So it's really important to kind of plan ahead when it comes to the real estate yeah, and taxes. Uh, sharing with your accountant your real estate plans, but your personal plans, right? Because they can help yeah. you with those personal plans with your real estate stuff. Yeah, it's a multi-part, like all of it. We want to <laughs> know everything you're doing because when people, what you tell me your goals are for the next few years is going to impact what we do. If you're like, ah, oh, you know, I want to buy one rental a year. It'll just be nice to have them later versus I have people who call and they'll say, we want in two years, we want to take our daughter out of public school, homeschool her, live in an RV and travel the country. And we want to do that with real estate. Like, I <laughs> exactly. So like, that's the power, but we need to know that that's your goal to know that you want to be that level of aggressive and be set up for that situation. Right. Absolutely. Yep. Amazing. All right. So you share the three ways that you can um, offset your W2 income. Yeah. So one last question. When you, the, on the third options that when you sell, you can use all these stack um, losses. Yep. Do they get wiped out or do you only use the part that you need? So let's say you have these 100,000 losses, but you only need 50. So if your income is too high, so like if you're still in that income bracket where you normally wouldn't be able to use losses if you weren't selling one, if you earn 200 grand a year, then you can only use the 50. You can only use enough to bring that gain to zero. It won't let you go negative. Right, but, but, but those leftover gains, do you still get to keep them? The leftover losses the, that don't get used, yep, those are still there for the next one. Okay. So that's what I was saying. Like You can really build up these losses. It's sort of like having a piggy bank, right? You fill it up with little coins every year. You're not going to use one coin to go buy a vacation, but you save and save and save till you have enough. You use it and you do it again. That's what you're doing with your losses is banking them up. You're saving these little losses every year till you have enough to sell a property tax-free. You do it and use up some, and then you start building them up again. Yeah. <laughs> Just refill awesome. and repeat. Awesome. Expert tips. Oh, I was just going to touch on things to make sure you grab for your taxes this year. So any deductions that I see missed a lot. Oh, yes. Let's talk yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of the last thing. So like I said, it's important to understand kind of that basic of how they're taxed. And I know that was sort of a lot of information at once. So on a simpler level, as you're filing your taxes this year um, or working with someone, ask them about these expenses. These are things I see missed a lot. People don't think about. Um, so the first one is books, right? Books or Audible. So if you pay for an Audible membership and you can show that most of what you're listening to, most of what you're downloading are all real estate, business, they're related to your job, you can deduct that or we can deduct 70% of the cost. So keep that in mind as you're building your library of books on this topic to keep track of that cost. Another thing I see missed a lot is we can always take, if you have rentals or you're doing flipping, we can always take a portion of your cell phone cost and your home internet. So even though it's your personal phone, you're also using it for business. So we get to split that. So make sure you mention that because anytime we can take an expense you're paying for anyway and now give you a tax benefit for it, that's like a double win. The last couple of things, these are a little more, um, 
little more tax heavy, but just to kind of touch on them. So run it past your tax person. So there's always this kind of question of if rentals are a business and for tax purposes and different things. So it's Internal Revenue Code Section 162. So if your accountant asks about it, that's where to send them. But this relates to two different deductions. One is a home office. People will say, can I have a home office for my rentals? And the answer is, if your rentals rise to this level, like defined in this tax code as a trader business, you absolutely can. And basically the gist of that tax code is that you have to be involved regularly with the intent of making profit. So it's not a really high bar, but it's very vague, right? It's not like they say a specific amount of hours or this or that. But if you have a business plan, right? Make sure even if you have rentals, have a formal business plan. You can find them free online, the template. If you have that, if you can show that each year you're doing things to value add on your properties, raising rents, like if you're treating it like a business and you're involved regularly and like regular is a relative term, right? That could be once a week. It could be once a month, as long as the properties are functioning, Mm -hmm. um, then you can probably take that home office and that's a great deduction and it lets us increase your mileage because now anything you drive from home to a rental becomes deductible. It's from a business office to a business rental. The other deduction to look for is 199A. So this was new last year and it's basically a 20% deduction on business income. So a lot of rentals may not have it because a lot of rentals have losses on paper so it won't give you a greater loss. But if you have a rental that does show income and you look at your tax return on the page one and you don't see this deduction, ask your accountant. It's called 199A. It's also called the QBI, Qualified Business Income Deduction. So there's a safe harbor related to this that says like if you spend so many hours on your rentals, you can deduct it. But that's kind of gibberish. Ignore that. It uses the same rule. If you can just Say that you are continuously, regularly involved in your rentals. They're a business for you. You qualify for this. So make sure you're getting that 20% deduction if you have a rental that showed profit on paper. So those are kind of a few things to just sort of look over your taxes. Make sure they're on there this year and ask your tax professional if they're not. um, And make sure you're not missing out on that that money. Awesome. Let me ask you something about this. This some accountants that don't like to use the home office because uh, I've been told that they are more audited. Like when you use home office, yeah, kind of a, you know, it like a red flag the possibility of being audited. What's, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So that was true. But in like 2014, 2015, the IRS released a notice basically saying, hey, we just realized half the world works from home at least part-time now. We have the internet and it's the future. We're less worried about this. So that used to be kind of a red flag because when you think about it, you know, 20 years ago, we barely had the internet. You know, no one was working remotely really. But now I feel like half of people have the option to work from home a couple days a week or totally work from home. So it's far more common now. So it's not as big of a red flag as it used to be. And um, at the end of the day, I mean, it might like, it's not really a higher audit risk, but audits are also very random. So there could be someone who claims it forever and never gets audited, or there can be someone who never claims it and gets audited. So it's kind of an old school view of it that it's this big risk because it used to be, but we've changed. <laughs> yeah. The world's kind of adapted how we work. Wow. So 
which category would be, let's say, if you as a business or as an investor, you're taking um, private money to fund mm -hmm. a property, like you want to buy this property and you are using private money, can you still deduct the expenses, the expenses of the interest that you're paying out for that money? Yeah, yeah. So it depends on how your deal is structured, of course. But if it's set up like a note, basically where they're investing X dollars, they get back X percentage of a return on their investment, then you get to deduct that as an expense to you and they pick up their profit as income to them. And so you, so you have to issue... Uh, 1099 for them. 1099? Oh. Yep, yep. I'm making so much notes. Like... <laughs> <laughs> So much awesome information. I mean, my head right now is racing. I'm going to have to like sit down and analyze everything that you've said. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff. And real estate, it's one of those things too where it, it changes so much. Like there's constantly people think of new ways to structure deals, new ways to set things up. So the tax side is always going to change too. So it's kind of an ongoing, an ongoing process. There's always going to be more to learn for professionals and for investors. And as long as you're open to learning more, you're heading the right direction. Absolutely. And I would love to have you again. I'm going to ask in the group and see like, what are the questions that they want answered by a re like an accountant expert in real estate? Because, Perfect. you know, there's so much more than yep. what we discussed today. So where can people find you if they want to uh, work with you uh, or they want, you, you know, they want you to look at their taxes or I know that you're a member of our group. Something mm -hmm. more, so you can look her up there. And, and yep. if you post a question in the group, she normally answers when <laughs> about taxes. Yeah, that um, might happen less this time of year because I'm getting really busy. Yes. But um, the best place to find me is on the website. So we're a fully virtual firm. We're big on tech. We're big on automation, saving time. So you can always book a new client consultation. Um, what that's going to do is it's going to let you book a phone call. It's going to let you upload your prior tax return. So we'll get to look at those for you and let you know if you've missed out on any money. Um, and then we'll send you over those notes. We're going to give you the feedback on the returns and some pricing. And we're set up where we don't do surprise prices, right? There's no like surprise fee later because you have questions. Like it's one price because I'd, I want my clients, I want you guys to call with your real estate questions. If you don't call me and then do something crazy, well, it's already done. So that's the way we're set up so that I can stay in contact with clients and really be proactive with the tax planning throughout the year. So the website is uh, colotax.com, K-O-L-O-T-A-X.com. Um, you can also find me on Facebook. Just feel free to friend me on there. There's also a Facebook page for Kaladi Tax, but a ton of my clients are on my Facebook because we all talk real estate. So... <laughs> It's a good okay, place so to find me. Go to her Facebook and like her page. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a pleasure, Natalie. Thank you so much for adding so much value to my audience. Yeah, own. absolutely. Thank you for having me. All right. This was Deal Closers with Annette Talee, brought to you by Talee Investments. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Our goal is to provide amazing value on your real estate journey. Connect online at www.taleeinvestments.com, where you can find this episode and more. Did you like this episode? Subscribe, like, and share.